Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Slow Burn Media and Phil Huffman present Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. When you look back, there are so many different things that we could have done or so many different things that that have changed since that date that could possibly help. On October 2nd, 1999, my son went on a hike up in the Colorado mountains and he walked off and he was lost. It was a situation to where no parent ever expects to be. A lot goes through your mind. You, you hope that you see him, you hope that everybody is doing the right things to find your child. Then on a June day in 2003, two hikers came across clothes in the woods. And there was never an official cause of death given in Jared's disappearance. And the case hasn't been officially closed in case new evidence is found 20 years later. 20 years later, there are few answers. Yeah, just incredible. The effort that went in there and his father really seems to be in a good place, really at peace with everything. Now finding peace in the unknown, like he says, and uh, trying to make sense of what has happened. Mark Salinger reporting tonight. Mark, thank you. Rescue teams from across the state converged on the Big South Trail in Larimer County in search of Jarrett. His father led the way. There's mountain lions in the area. Certainly that's a possibility. Others say it was a person who did him harm. So that they do not have to live the same horror story I lived through. He would be in his mid-twenties now, but Jarrett Adadero will forever be the three-year-old boy with a smile and curiosity that is impossible to forget. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of My Passion Case, a slow burn media production. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and on this week's show I'll be discussing one of Colorado's most infamous and mysterious unsolved disappearances with the one and only Aaron, the co-host of the Generation Y podcast. We will be discussing the disappearance of three-year-old Jared Adadero. On October 2nd, 1999, Jared disappeared while on a hike with a group of family friends, and he was only three, but his sister, who was six, was attending the same hike, so after some begging to his father, Alan Adadero let Jared go, and little did he know that this would be the last time that he would actually see Jared alive. Now, I'm going to jump into my conversation with Aaron, because Aaron's spoken with Alan before, who has also written a book. And has been a pretty pr- normal presence on the media side of things. So he definitely knows his stuff, and Aaron is a wealth of information when it comes to this case. So we're going to go right into my conversation with Aaron, skip all the perfunctory stuff, and let's begin. What makes the case so intriguing to you? Well, honestly, there are so many cases 
that I could focus on. This one's this one stands out to me because I spoke with his father. I read his book and I spent a good amount of time researching this case before I covered it. So it's um, set in pretty deep. Now, was this something that you you had known about when you first started podcasting? I know you guys were like basically the the first in the true crime podcasting genre and kind of set the tone for what the future held. So do you feel like he was open and honest with you when you spoke to him? Yes, because um, in researching different cases, and and I don't blame anyone for taking this uh, uh, approach, but many people sort of have to decide what happened. They need some sort of closure. And I found with Alan Adadero that he doesn't know what happened to his son and he leaves it open. And in fact, in his book, he has, I think, up to eight different theories as to what could have happened to Jared. It's just such an interesting case. I mean, can you give me a, just a little bit, you know, the listener, just a little bit of background on what exactly had happened in the situation that led to him uh, disappearing? Alan had purchased a resort and he was working on it, getting it ready to open. And so he had his daughter and his son with them and they were both younger, although his son, I think, was only about four years old, if I'm not mistaken. And his daughter was a little older than that, I think two or three years older. And so he's working hard, but he needs to spend time with his kids. And yet he has a Christian singles network group that are from Denver out at the resort at the time as well. And he kind of knows them. And so they're saying, hey, we're going to go for a little a little walk down to go visit this. Uh, it's kind of like a fish hatchery. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, uh, well, it's not too far away. I, I guess, you know, my daughter can go, but his son wants to go. And so he's like, well, there will be adults there. Sure. You know, he can go. But it was one of those things where you make that decision. You say, yeah, my kids can go. They can't go. But he's been really busy with this resort. And his wife's not around because he's uh, separated at the time or divorced. And again, there are a lot, a lot of adults around, so he figures it'll be fine. So, so his they, wife wasn't actually there. Right. I believe, I believe they were either separated or divorced at the time. Okay. I was wondering about that because you, you guys referred to her as just, or he actually referred to her as um, Jared's mother. So I thought that was unusual, but that explains that. So they leave, but what he doesn't know is they go down to the hatchery. They're all thinking, we're not done. We want to do something else, so let's go on a hike. So they end up going yet even further away from the resort, which is, I think, another mile and a half. And so, uh, well, actually, it was a mile and a half to the fish, fish hatchery, and then mm-hmm. it's about 15, 16 miles to the Big South Trail where they decide to go because this is in what he calls the Puda Mountains in mm-hmm. Colorado. It's very scenic. And if you've ever been hiking, uh, I don't know, I love hiking and I wish sure. I could go more often, but they decide they're going to go. But they're taking these two kids with them. 16 miles. Yes. And this isn't anything that I guess they thought was a big deal, but they go on this hike. And while they're hiking, I think they forget about Jared because he runs ahead of them and everyone's talking. Most of the adults there 
I don't think have it in their heads that they need to watch these children. There is a woman named Janet who knows Alan and she especially liked his daughter. She liked to spend time with her. And so they were kind of talking and stuff, but they lose track of Jared. Now this is of course down the line here, but there are some fishermen out there who see Jared and they briefly talk with him. But long story short, for whatever reason, Jared disappears. And by the time they realize that he's missing, well, you know, this is a huge area. All kinds of things could go wrong, whether it's people, uh, mountain lions, um, accidents, what, what have you. And so by the time he's informed that Alan's informed, all he knows at that point, because I asked him, I said, were you upset when you found out that they hadn't really watched your son? He said he was really upset, but all he had in his head was, we need to find Jared. And so he wasn't angry at anybody at that point in time. But man, you think you're going on this big hike. And for adults, it's probably not a big deal. But a four-year-old, we don't know um, at what point their energy fades or they could have an accident and they don't have any idea what to do. Heck, most adults don't know what to do probably, but this is a child. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that was one thing that stood out when he was talking about. He's like, well, he was a really, really athletic, you know, child. And I just thought 16 miles is just so I mean, I used to run cross country and track and 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 lived out in Utah and hiked and did all that stuff. And I mean, that's the, you know, no pun intended, but that is literally a hike just to even get to the trail that they're going to. So I just found it so bizarre that the, the, that the adults that took these children, they're four or four and six or something like that. I mean, these are little kids. These aren't, I mean, okay, eight years old, maybe we can start talking about letting them kind of run ahead and do their thing. But four and six, your interview with, with her father or with his father was just like, if I was his dad, oh my gosh, I just don't, I don't even know if I could have handled just even discussing how in the hell did you allow this to happen? Because this isn't what you said you were going to do. And somehow this child is gone and there's no, there's no sign of him. Two of the women that were part of the group were the ones to inform Alan and he found out that Janet had left with Jocelyn, but she hadn't brought Alan with her. She just assumed that Jared was with the other people. That's so weird. Well, what do you think about, I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you think Janet had any, was there any, I don't know, anything nefarious going on there with, with Janet? Or was it just, she figured, did she even know that, Jared was missing at the, that point or did they just turn around and go home? Well, at one point, Janet and Jocelyn had fallen asleep, I think, against a rock or something. So I think that Janet just was enjoying her time hanging out with uh, Jocelyn okay, and completely forgot about the boy because she figured, oh, we're all together. There's a lot of assumption going on here. Mm -hmm. I, I will say that no one's going to care about your kid like you will. And so when it comes down to things like this, unless you have someone who you absolutely can trust, there's a huge amount of risk in letting a bunch, uh, some group that you sort of know take your children. So there is plenty of blame to go around, but 
you know, when it comes down to the father, I think he was just, he was just trying to be nice to his kids because he probably understood that, you know, their life had changed. Their parents had split up. And it's one of those uh, situations where you try to step away from your fears and say, I want my kids to have some fun. And right now I'm really busy. So they'll be with this group and everything will be fine. And as we know, uh, things aren't always fine. Yeah, especially with the way that things turned out. I mean, do you feel like this Christian singles group, I mean, do you think there was anything there that was suspicious? I mean, did anybody, I mean, as far as suspects go, did were there anybody in that group that became a suspect? I don't think so. Um, in fact, when it came down to it, everyone seemed to be pretty upset and they felt very bad about what had happened. Um, but when it came time to get together, it seemed like Janet wasn't around. I think it took her a little while to face Alan because she really did feel responsible, I think. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, if she was the one that, you know, was supposedly in charge of the, the th- you know, the two of the children, it's, I can see that that being the case. But as far as all the other adults, I mean, did they have any thing to provide to the authorities, to the people that ended up becoming part of the search parties? I mean, well, did they we'll get to the search parties, but as far yeah. as <laughs> like, yeah, OK, I'm sorry. Boy, <laughs> no, uh, they you know, a number of them saw Jared running ahead. OK. And then there were the, the two fishermen who gave uh, some statements which and is they, odd because he's a four-year-old. Yeah, they, well, I think the way they said it was, I think they knew there were other people nearby, so they didn't think a lot of it. But I don't know, as a parent myself, I've never let my four-year-old run away from me like that. But maybe I'm more paranoid, and maybe that's because of my consumption of true crime. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible that your exposure to just what your job is and what you, your exposure is, yeah, definitely can play a role in it. But nonetheless, as a fisherman or a, you know, an adult, you see a four-year-old, especially the way Alan describes the terrain being as rugged as it was. I mean, I don't care if you know people are coming or not, but I mean, you should... And I'm sure that, and I, again, I'm not placing blame and I, and I feel bad that they, had, they even had to be involved, but the fact that they didn't stick around and make sure that this kid got back together with this, this group of people, I mean, we're not, again, talking about somebody that's, you know, preteen or a, we're talking about a four-year-old. I mean, a four-year-old weighs 40 pounds. I thought that was such a weird, a weird aspect of the story. And did those, I mean... Were they obviously they were open and honest with the investigators because I don't believe they were ever named as suspects or anything, correct? Well, suspects is maybe not the right way to look at this because at that point it was a missing person. Okay. And so, as you know, uh, and there are many cases out there that get off on the wrong foot. Okay. This one, I don't know that it got off on the wrong foot because I think the only way to categorize this is missing person. Because as far as we can tell, the people that Jared and Jocelyn were with weren't bad people. Now, they may not have looked out for the kids that were with them very well, but there wasn't anything uh, intentionally 
wrong with their actions. It's just they should have been better about keeping an eye on them. Now, Jocelyn never left Janet's side as far as I can tell. Well, that's a good, I mean, at least there's that that aspect of things, but she's six and Jared's four. And I mean, I I get it. I mean, I was a four-year-old boy. I mean, I ran around and yeah, I do definitely understand living out West, what it's like to be in that environment and sort of just kind of get lost in the, you just get lost in the wilderness. I mean, no pun intended to say that he's actually lost, but just to say that you find yourself in just awestruck, especially if you're a child of just the vastness of everything. It's just, it's not what you see on a daily basis for sure. At least in my opinion. For a child, their focus changes at some point, I'm sure. It goes from wonder and excitement to, oh my, where am I? Where Mm -hmm. is everyone? And so for Alan, he thought, okay, let's calm down. Let's just go back to the trail. Maybe when he hears my voice, he'll come out. Maybe he was in hiding. Maybe he got scared. And so he went back up there to uh, the trail and he called for his son over and over again. And then... After a while, he realized, I can't do this. I need, I need to bring in everyone. So then it was time to contact the sheriff's department. And the sheriff's department was run by Sheriff Alderton. But he's also a big part of this case because so many people, when they found out what was going on, you had search and rescue teams. You had people with tracking dogs. Um, they were all volunteering their time and money, you name it. And as they called in, because, of course, they were referred to the sheriff's department because of jurisdiction, mm-hmm. the sheriff was informing his office, hey, let them all know we don't need their help. And they had to turn away time and time again, all these different people. Uh, and it came down to there was a tracker that actually showed up and he he was told to leave by the sheriff and he straight up told the sheriff, hey. You tell me to leave. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go down to the media because the media had been gathering. And he said, I'll tell them what you told me. Tell them, I'll tell them that you weren't allowing me to search and I'll, I'll give them my credentials. I should be here. So the sheriff reluctantly let him stick around. But for the most part, they didn't bring in outsiders. It was the sheriff's department looking. Do you believe that that is more of an ego thing or it's my way or the highway type of type of thing for that type of department. I don't pretend to know what this sheriff was thinking, but if someone said, what's your best guess? Uh, my best guess is he wanted the credit for finding the boy. And so if he brings in outsiders, someone else is going to get that glory. Do you feel like he was, if he, if he asked like, you know, this is such a, I guess this is even pertains to just so many things and, in life but like if he asked for help that he was kind of admitting not fault but i just inadequacy yeah yeah i think it's ridiculous because i mean for me it doesn't matter who wins the day right Right. we just want the day one if this boy is missing and there's a chance to find him bring in everybody you can find that can help track him down because time is everything and the each hour that goes by the risk of that boy not making it just increases exponentially, I'm sure. Now, as far as the search parties go, so was it, was the sheriff just in charge of, he had one search party and that was it? And he was in charge of it? He organized the searches and he also had a helicopter brought in. 
but he didn't even allow the family to search. You know, he, he even told uh, Alan and the others, I will have you arrested. What? Really? And the rationale behind that? I don't know. And, okay, so he brought in the helicopter. What happened to the helicopter? Well, and this is uh, something that was, and, of course, before the helicopter took place, um, there was a prayer service, and that's where the Christian Singles Group and um, Janet, they weren't all there because Janet decided she didn't, she wasn't going to go. And like I said, I think it was because of her guilt. Now, all that Alan can think about is his son. And all of a sudden, there comes a time where sirens are going off, lights, lots of vehicles are racing up the canyon. So Alan thinks they know something, they found something. But it wasn't about his son. The helicopter had crashed. And now I asked Alan what happened with the helicopter, and no one really wanted to talk to him about it. But it seemed as though, as best as he could tell, that the helicopter had gone too low and somehow lost lift and fell through the trees. Now, luckily, no one died. But, yeah, if your son's missing, it's been a media thing. And then all of a sudden, all these ambulances and other vehicles are racing into the canyon. And then it's you, you think it's about your son, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's another crushing blow. How long after that, or like how long after they were searching, did the uh, helicopter crash occur? Um, I actually don't remember, but it was not long after Jared went missing. I think it was just within days. Okay. So now as far as what happens at this point, so they're, you know, they've got the search parties, helicopters crashed, and they're going nowhere. What ends up happening? Well, an interesting thing happened. So maybe so far people are saying, what's so mysterious about this? The boy just got lost and they can't find him. Maybe he died out there, but they couldn't find anything associated with him. They flew the helicopter around. They didn't see anything. Of course, it ended up crashing. But a six foot four tracker named Sue uh, was in the resort shop and started talking to Alan. I, I, I can't remember if he was buying something or if he just was making small talk, but he learned who Alan was and he said, you know what? I've been out there tracking and I think I know where Jared went. And of course, Alan's excited. He's like, whoa, you know, like, let me know. And he's like, let me draw you a map. And so Sue drew drew this map up. Alan decided to take the map straight to the sheriff. Now, so far, the sheriff had not been treating Alan kindly at all or anybody associated with them. But he still took the sheriff the map because he realized this is the sheriff's territory he might be turning away all this help, but this he's the only thing I've got going right now. So he took on the map, and the sheriff didn't want it. He didn't care. Why was the sheriff holding a grudge against Alan? I mean, was it the fact that he had reached out to the media and was kind of saying, you know, this is what's going on? Or I mean, what, where did the disconnect come from with the uh, sheriff and the family? I think he just didn't want them interfering. He just wanted the credit? I That's my guess, but I don't really know. But yeah, he just didn't want them interfering. So, okay, it's been, you know, he goes missing. When do they decide, or when do the searches start to slow down? You know, I can't remember at this point in time. I think it was weeks, but... Yeah, I mean, it's like you can't keep, a, you can't keep going on it 
full steam if there's no evidence of anything. I mean, if you don't have anywhere to go, then... And there was none. You're right. So they found nothing. And in all their searching in... Do you know how many people were involved in the search? I think they had a very good number of people. But again, it was... The searches were set up by the sheriff and his okay. department. Okay. So so they searched for, you know, let's say a number of weeks, a couple months. Uh, things slow down. Uh, they kind of shut down the command center. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I mean, is that basically how it went? I mean, is did they... Just Did it just become a cold case at that point? I don't know if it became cold because, again, this is the sheriff's department. And in their mind, I think they did what they could. Um, in fact, the reason that was given for we're not going to look in this area where you've got the map um, focused on, that's, that's because we flew over that area with the helicopter and they didn't see anything. So at that point, it was... There's not much else to do. Kind of a waiting game. See if anything comes up over time. I mean, people hike out there and, uh, you know, we, they often find bodies because uh, hunters will go through a certain area and they'll, they'll be tracking through an area that most people don't go through and sure. they'll end up finding something. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of cases where, the, where a hunter is the, the first to discover a body. What was the next like major break in the in the case? Well, it's about three and a half years later Jeez. that Jared's clothing is found. And the crazy thing about this, and, and there's there are a lot of crazy things in this case, but the crazy thing is when they look at where his clothing was found and they check the map, because Alan had kept the map, it was within thirty-five feet of the X. From the tracker? Yes, when the tracker drew him a map. It was 35 feet away from that X. And that's the same map that the sheriff said that we don't need any... We don't, we don't need that. I mean, I don't know if you're married, but I know if I can't find something, I'll often tell my wife, you know, hey, will you take a look? She'll find it right away. And this is the thing is you can have someone look, but that doesn't mean they'll find it even if it's there. True. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely one that needs more eyes on something than uh, my own, but 35 feet. So, so where, where the tracker had uh, placed Jared's, you know, possible location, where was that in relation to, I guess, the last time he was seen. Um, that's the crazy thing is where he, where his clothing was found and eventually his bones, because they did end up finding some bones later 
Okay. Um, and that's kind of a controversial thing, but it's kind of it's kind of in an area that you'd have to hike up and climb up to. And no one that I can, I mean, as far as I can tell, no one really thinks a four-year-old could reach that area. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Colorado. I, I mean, I've been hiking and I, I just don't, it's, it's no place for a four-year-old is what I'll, I'll, I'll say. So this is where theories come in. Okay. And there's this idea that maybe a large cat had taken him up there. Because a large cat could probably take a four-year-old up there. But they checked his clothing. Um, They analyzed it to see if they could tell if any predators had attacked it or anything. But I don't think there was any evidence of that. And not only that, but one of the pants legs was pulled out. So it's almost like when you pull it off. Mm Mm-hmm. So the the clothing really didn't tell him much other than this is probably where Jared ended up. Now where the where he died. Now where the bones you mentioned they were controversial. Were they found near the clothing? I can't honestly remember at this point in time, but okay. I just remember there being some controversy about the bones and whether they were Jared's or not. And as far as I recall, Alan ended up accepting that they were Jared's. Interesting. Okay. So at the end of the day, I mean, has anybody been held responsible for this? I mean, I I don't know how anybody's ever going to be held responsible for this because it's like so many people dropped the ball. You know, you have Janet not really watching the kids like she should have. You have Alan, I guess, making the mistake of letting his kids go with this group. And I think he just trusted, you know, because of who they were Mm -hmm. and just thought, oh, they'll take care of them. And then you have the sheriff who is saying, "Uh, yeah, we don't need volunteers. We have enough people. We don't need your tracking dogs. We already have good dogs. Um, We don't have enough budget to bring in. Um these uh, military groups that were volunteering, none of that, even though these people were volunteering to go. What are your feelings or thoughts about the, the sheriff? Well, I think it's just one of those situations where in an ideal world, we would have people setting aside their egos for the greater good and saying, Hey, I'll accept your help. Maybe the sheriff can give them guidelines. I mean, I've gone on, when I went on a search and rescue for a a runner that was missing, and he was actually a youth pastor, we were given guidelines about where we could go and who we were going with. And I think in this situation, the sheriff should have utilized these people who were coming in with all their experience. He could have said, I'm going to limit you to these areas or whatever, but he just didn't want to mess with them. He didn't want them coming in. That's interesting. Now, uh, you know, not to sidetrack real fast, but what was the, uh, what search were you involved with? Uh, it, was a, it was actually a, a young guy. He was, um, I think, in his 20s, and he had a wife and a little um, infant son. And he was known to run around the Liberty area, and he just disappeared. 
And so I was, I was, when I was on the search, I was walking through all kinds of dense foliage and all kinds of weeds that ripped at my clothing, tore up my shoes. And we just went everywhere. The weird thing about that one was at some point I was online trying, you know, I was, I had a lot of free time at that on that week and I was online, I was online and some guy had said, Hey, I want to go look for him at the school, which is right across from everyone searching. Okay. And I thought, Oh man, I'd love to go, but it's getting so late. And I, I'm not sure that they would approve of this. So I decided not to go. Turns out a week after this young guy disappeared, his remains were found in one of the porta potties at the school because they were doing construction by the school. Not to like sidetrack, but what was the cause of death? Well, he was a, a very fit man and a very good runner, but he had some sort of congenital heart issue. Okay. I think it was. Well, anyway, he had a cardiac event while he was on the toilet. God, it's terrible. died. And so it was actually days before he was discovered, one of the construction workers was trying to get in there and it was locked. And he thought, oh, someone must be in there, even though they didn't answer. Mm. And then like so many days later, went back and tried it again. It was still locked, but now it didn't smell very good. Mm-mm. And so that's when made a, he made a phone call. Interesting. Yeah, as a former runner, well, as a runner, yeah, that's just, uh, I actually had a, a friend's uh, little sister, she just in the middle of cross-country practice uh, passed away from a just a random heart defect, you know, didn't know she had it, and uh, I think she was 15 at the time, so yeah, that, that's crazy, but uh, like when something like that happens, I mean, as far as searching goes, did you get like a notification? Was there like a, did they do like a public call for action? Um, you know, in Jared's case, would there, where would there have been uh, other than the, just the publicity on the, from the media side of things, or do they actually like reach out to people, you know, say, Hey, you know, we need, a, we need volunteers. You know, I mean, I've seen a lot of cases where that's obviously the case, but you know, in Jared's case, it seems like they were turning everybody away. Um, how did the people that got involved in Jared's case even get the luxury of being involved other than, I mean, could they? I, yeah, I just don't know. I know in the local case that I was a part of, um, I just wanted to go help. And so I, I saw that they were going to have volunteers meeting at his church and so I just went over there and they had to turn away a lot of people because they didn't need uh, everyone that showed up. There were a lot of people that showed up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely run into a lot of situations and I know that, you know, as a kid, I mean, the case that sticks to me, sticks with me is the, you know, the Mahalovic case, the Amy Mahalovic case and, you know, how many people got involved with that. Um, I, I just think that's just, I think that just kind of goes with the territory as far as just, you know, any wanting to lend a helping hand and uh, the fact that a sheriff would turn away that experience. I mean, to me, that's what seems so 
so off the mark on this case. I mean, it, this seems like something that could have been solved within days, if not a day, if there would have been more people involved. There's always that chance, but the area is so large, so vast, and a child of his size could easily fall into a bush and you wouldn't see him. But, you know, as part of the theories um, that are attached to this case, um, one thing you look at is what did they find on the clothing? Well, they didn't find any hair, no blood. They checked the temperatures. Uh, The temperatures the night he was gone was low 40s. So for a small child, that might be pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Um, The different theories out there, mountain lion attack, but they didn't really see any evidence of that on his clothing. The bones, there wasn't really enough left to tell anything. The other thing is, is there was a supposed sighting of Jared. And this was at the Mesa Verde National Park. A sheriff's deputy said that he saw a boy that looked like Jared, who he'd seen on the TV, uh, with a man. And he said the boy was trying to get away from him. And... Of course, the deputy just didn't think much of it because he thought, oh, that's his child and the child's just being difficult. This feeds into the theory that someone had parked. There's actually like a parking area, which if someone had taken Jared, could have made it back to that parking area and driven away from the park. And so for uh, Jared's clothing, the one thing that really stood out were his shoes. It didn't seem like his shoes were in as rough a shape as they should have been for being out there in the mountains for three and a half years. And so there's this uh, theory that someone took Jared, killed him, and then brought his remains back to the park because maybe they suspected if they found him there, then they'd figure, oh, he died there and he wasn't kidnapped. That's one theory. Another theory, aside from that and the mountain lion, is that Jared simply died of exposure, that he got lost, maybe had an accident, and then... Who knows, maybe animals did get to his clothes and scatter them, but it's just the mystery of this case is why would he be found in an area that a four-year-old wouldn't be able to get to on their own? It just doesn't seem possible. And if it was a mountain lion, how come his clothing doesn't show any evidence of a mountain lion attack? I, I remember seeing online the picture of, I mean, if you Google it, there's a picture of Alan with the, the shoes. and yeah, they do not look like shoes that have been in the wilderness for three years, three and a half years. And I mean, that God, I mean, that just drives so many different conspiracy theories on how, when, but I mean, you know, it's like Occam's razor, you know, most likely answer is he probably had an accident or was attacked by an animal and, I mean, how else do you get where you're going or where his, where his clothes were found? How else do you get there? It's not like, in my opinion, I don't feel like somebody would have killed him three and a half years later, brought his body back and then gone through the trouble of putting it where they found it. I, I just, I mean, what is your thought on that? I don't know if this works, but I almost wonder if he had an accident, if he fell to that area somehow, because as you know, the mountains, they, you know, the escalation we're talking about as you go up, up, up. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how a four-year-old does all this, but 
Um, that, that's what makes it difficult is how do you explain where he got where he got? I don't know if he could have fallen to that area from a higher up area, but to me, it seems most likely that he died out there not long after he went missing. And so in my mind, I think it was an accident. I think something happened to him uh, that, and it wasn't from a man. Uh, he could have been startled by an animal and run and fallen and hurt himself or whatever. But again, I don't think there's any way to solve this case. I don't think it would ever be solved, but it's always stuck with me because um, I feel for Alan knowing that he lost his boy and he did what he thought he could do to try and find him. And it was roadblock after roadblock. And then when they finally get answers, they don't solve anything. They just pose more questions. Yeah. And I'm sure that your conversation and your talks with Alan have definitely uh, made this case much more personal and listening to your interview. I mean, it's definitely worth seeking out for any listener who hasn't heard it yet. Um, you know, I think it's one of your, like, I don't know, one, 175 or something like that episode. It might be 171. 171. See, you know, uh, as you should. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely worth listening to if you want to learn more about this case. It's so crazy as far as what egos can do and how power can run amok, even when it comes to missing children. And even if it is just a complete accident, which in this particular case, it does seem like that's the most likely scenario. But I do feel like things probably could have been resolved sooner if there would have been more teamwork, you know, and, and I hate to use the expression, but, you know, teamwork makes a dream work. And, you know, what you had at that point in time was a missing child and getting that child back, whether he was alive or injured or dead at that point, you know, the sooner the better. And I, I just think that, that that's that that's my opinion on that on the case. And um I really appreciate you uh taking the time to explain why this case is, you know, you're so passionate about. Well, and one other thing I'd like to mention is that I think the biggest blow to this case was when Alan discovered that the tracking dogs had the wrong clothing. They didn't have samples of Jared's clothing to find him. They were actually using Alan's shorts. And so when he went and verified what clothing they were using, he held up the shorts and said, these are mine. Do you think any four-year-old would fit into these? And everybody just looked at him. They were giving the scent, you know, the, the scent to the dogs, but the scent was Alan's, not Jared's. So basically, this case is a prime example of missing every opportunity to get a solution sooner rather than later. I mean, come on. It's amateur. It's amateur hour. I, it's, and to know that they were doing this and shutting out experts because of ego, most likely, mm -hmm. um, 
it just makes this even more painful and not knowing. I mean, I know that's been a debate. I've, I've been reading about different cases and how knowing versus not knowing, but man, let it, let the parent who's missing their child, let them decide whether they want to know or not. And in this case, it seemed like they just kept shutting Alan out. Yeah, I don't understand why they wouldn't let him search or be a part of uh, just assisting in, in getting people to to help in the search. I, I just don't understand the sheriff's motives. Um, I get, I mean, I get the small town thing, but come on, it's a missing four-year-old. This is, uh, this, you bringing in help can solve this case quicker than you, John Wayne, you know, style trying to solve everything. You know, I'm the sheriff. I'm going to take care of it. This isn't the old West. Like we have the means motive, you know, a means motive and opportunity. We have the means to get these things solved. So what in the world is this sheriff thinking? And I just feel so awful for that family that has to deal with the fact that this is a, I mean, this is a prime example of bureaucracy run amok. And he still would have gotten the credit because he would have been the guy in charge saying, go here, go there. You know what I'm saying? This could have been still, uh, he could have gotten some credit for, for the discovery of the boy. If he had just allowed more help in, um, Maybe the trackers that had the dogs would have actually known to use the boy's clothing and not a man's clothing. It's just those little things that are so detrimental when you go the wrong way with them. Yeah, I think, like you said at the beginning, you know, you start on one avenue and you go down that path. And, well, once you're down that path, it's a little hard to find your way back. And, you know, no pun intended with the the case, but it definitely feels like they were, you know, not going in the right direction right off the bat. So ridiculous. You have the sheriff maybe as sort of the villain in this case, but if you think about it, so many people came out of the woodwork to try and help find the boy. And then later on, of course, Alan and his brother wrote the book when the sun sets, S O N, when mm-hmm. the sun sets about Jared's case and about what the family went through, what happened with the searches is very detailed. And as a reader, I can tell you it's one of the best books I've ever read in terms of editing. Um, so often I find spelling mistakes or grammar mistakes. This book is just amazing. And that could be found on Amazon, I'm assuming. Absolutely. And of course, I've read it. I read it before I spoke with Alan. Uh, he sent it to me, I believe, but I've, I've also purchased it. And uh, I've, I'm always recommending it to people. We have a uh, section on our website where we have recommended books and I need to update it, but it's, uh, it's definitely on there. Yeah, well, that is uh, that's a great segue to... Uh... One saying thank you again for explaining your passion behind this case, and uh, yeah, plug your show. Give uh, give uh, Generation Y its due. 
So, well, Justin, my co-host and I, we've been doing Generation Y since 2012. And it's been amazing to watch the true crime genre in podcasts grow and grow. And we've met so many great other podcasters. Um, it's, it's an amazing community. Our website is genypod.com, or you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash generation Y. And you guys do a weekly show. We have a weekly show and, uh, and my other podcast has a new series coming up, uh, season two, and that's framed an investigative story. Awesome. Yeah, I've really, I've really enjoyed getting to know uh, a lot of the true crime uh, podcasters and uh, yourself included. And I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, you know, be so succinct with your feelings about this case and uh, how this case could have gone in a totally different direction if it would have just been uh, taken a little bit more seriously at the time. And I think also it's it's cases like this that I really connect with because I've known his dad for a little while. We communicate once in a while. And I know he's had his ups and downs. He has his days where he doesn't think that he can talk about Jared. The pain becomes too great. He feels like it's, I think he almost feels like he's failed, but you know he'll end up coming back and he'll post a picture and say, here's my boy and I love him and I miss him. And so I know that every day must be a struggle for him and his family. Yeah, I think that goes for for Alan and his family and for all the victims that have, uh, you know, all the families that have victims out there that, you know, cases that have not been solved and even cases that have been solved. I mean, it, it's still, I mean, it, anybody that has to go through this type of trauma or tragedy, it's just, it's, it's just not the way life should be. So, you know, it's just, it's important to keep these stories out there. And uh, I mean, you guys obviously started the trend with the, with the whole true crime genre, but it is important to, uh, to get these stories out there. And it is an advocacy type of thing. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, murder of the week type stuff. This is, There are real families involved, and there are real real ways to to help these cases and these families. So, uh, again, uh, appreciate you uh, laying the foundation for for us future podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no problem. It was great to talk with you, Bill. Hey, Aaron. Seriously, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, and um, I guess if you get a chance, uh, send me a send me a link because I I have I have been in the past year and a half or so trying to check out other shows. Oh yeah, but you're probably crazy as busy. So oh, I, I trust me. But what, I, when I'm at my day job, I try to fit in a podcast or two here and there. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'll check yours out. Yeah, I'll send it your way. And uh, yeah, I've I've gotten uh, I've gotten to become good friends with Nick from True Crime Garage. So. Uh, that's been fun. And, uh, I talk to him probably every other week now, just, uh, not even necessarily for the show, just, uh, just a BS. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've recorded a couple episodes with him. We'll yeah. I, I love your guys. When you guys do those, uh, those joint shows are fun. 
just kind of changes the tables a little bit. So uh, definitely really enjoy those. And I'm a big fan of, of Gen Y. I definitely have listened to, you know, I don't want to admit it, but probably all of your shows. So uh, (laughs) it is what it is, (laughs) but (laughs) uh, just have the capability to do so. And uh, I don't know. It was uh, cool to meet you at CrimeCon. You probably don't even remember me, but uh, this year we'll definitely. Uh, no, I briefly, I, I remember briefly talking with you, I believe. Yeah. It was yeah. really fast. It was. Oh, yeah. You guys were freaking all over the place. And uh, we were just all in that little corner. So it, that kind of was nice. And hopefully that will all work out again this year. But. Well, yeah, there'll be uh, Orlando next. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be there. Well, we should be there too so <laughs> i will uh catch up with you soon but yeah i will absolutely send you a link um and i'm like i'm interviewing you today i'm doing maggie uh tomorrow maggie uh, oh oh yeah from uh from uh carl, carl, space, carl space yeah yeah and then i've got tim and lance and nick and the captain and uh, you know, yeah, great people, yeah, yeah, like them all, yeah. So good, good lineup, and so just uh, I can't say thanks enough. Well, enjoy your evening. Thank you, sir. You as well. All right, take care, Bill. All right, man, take it easy. Thank you again to Aaron from Generation Y. Again, he is the co-host of the wildly popular Generation Y podcast. He can be found anywhere you get your favorite shows. And I believe they have a website, generationy.com. And again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of My Passion Case. I'll be dropping new episodes every Monday wherever you get your favorite shows. And for the second year in a row, I will be representing Who Killed... My Passion Case, as well as Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic, on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando. That is May 1st through the 3rd. And if you want to save on a ticket, you can use my promo code AMY2020. And again, if you have never been, it is definitely a must for any true crime fan. And if you do enjoy this podcast and would like to help support the show, you can always click on the donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That's slow minus the W. Or via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. We'll also provide a link in the show notes. And again, any amount is appreciated. And it does help keep this podcast running. If you do enjoy the show and would like to leave a five-star review, that's also a good way to keep these cases in the spotlight. And again, I'll be dropping new episodes of my other series, Who Killed, on Fridays, and new episodes of My Passion Case every Monday. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases I have covered, as well as the new shows that I have coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And you guys, thanks so much again for listening this week. Until next time, be safe. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, 
but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing; she'd invested three hundred thousand dollars with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.